You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hello, Mosaic. Whether you're in the room, watching, or online, welcome. I am Rosalind Smith. I'm pastor of Mission in Adult Education, and I get to preach today, so I'm so excited to be with y'all. Thank you. (laughs) Today, we are in our series of miracles, and today's passage is going to come from John 11. We're going to read a portion of the passage now. I'll read to you. Now, a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's John 11, 1 through 4. Amen. 2018, a team along with, from Mosaic, along with my husband and I, took a mission trip to Rwanda, Africa. Save the date. We have another one coming up this November. So lots of trips to Africa this year for our church. It's an exciting year. Now, we typically include one fun day during our mission trips to um, anywhere. One fun day, you can do an excursion, you can stay at the hotel and just relax. My husband and I chose to travel about three hours, um, a three-hour car ride to a place called Musanzi, Rwanda to go gorilla trekking. (laughs) Who was here first service? (laughs) If you're not familiar with gorilla trekking, in our case, we traveled to the Virunga Mountains, which are a mountain area inhabited by the gorillas. And with guides, we navigate into the mountains, up into the mountains to this beautiful, lush, foresty area. And we hike until we find where the gorillas are nesting for the day. We visited the Agashia family of gorillas, and we spent some time there. But then after spending a little time there, our guide whispers to Brad and I, hey, come with me, I wanna show you something special. We're a sucker for adventure. And so we went with him and he cuts a path, kind of a new path, a path that people hadn't traveled before. And he positions me in a space, he uses his arm and pulls down this thick tree area, trees, brushes, and he reveals a new six-week-old baby gorilla. And he's holding on to this bamboo, piece of bamboo cane, and he is living his best life. He's within arm's reach of me. Unfortunately, his mama didn't know we were coming that day. She wasn't expecting company and apparently felt threatened by my very existence. As a mom, I can only assume that she felt like I was going to take or harm her child. She jumps up, standing on somewhat of a, a platform, so she's eye level. She's 5'4", 450 pounds. She has the dexterity of an NFL linebacker. And she begins to roar at me. Psychologists say, 
When you arrive at a situation where you feel as if your life is being threatened or your survival is uh, being threatened, you will respond in one of three ways. Fight, fight, or freeze, that's right. So I'm standing there, frozen. I hear Francois come out of the bushes and he begins to say, who, who, he, he, am I, he, he, he. <laughs> she lays down. There was a black back on my right, a black back on my left. They had both jumped up too and a mama gorilla in the back. They jumped up too. They both all lay down. This is our week of miracles, y'all. <laughs> and I want to express a few miracles that took place that day. One of which is, I'm here to tell the story. <laughs> miracle number one. The second miracle is that Francois speaks gorilla. <laughs> you can't learn that on Duolingo. The third and maybe less obvious miracle to you, but it saved my life, is that she believed whatever it was he was communicating to her. Miracle. The miracle, she believed, the miracle of her believing, it saved my whole life. Francois leans over, he goes, take the picture and let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Why does she believe him? To the untrained eye, my eyes, this smelt like death. It, it sounded like death. It felt a little like death could happen at any moment. But Francois, our tour guide, God bless him, he had spent time with the gorillas. He knew their language to the best of his ability. He took on their likeness. He ate their food. He spoke their language so that he could rescue me from what felt like my impending death. This is what Jesus did for us, but even greater. He humbled himself. He took on our likeness. He ate what we ate. He spoke our language so that he could rescue us from death for eternity. He not only rescues us from death, but he gives us victory over sin and he gives us the authority to operate in his likeness when we believe. The question is, believe what? Glad you asked. In the passage of John 11, that we'll look at today, the word believe or derivative thereof is utilized nine times. The same word, the same meaning over and over again. Repetition in the Bible, it usually emphasizes the importance of a thing. And although traditionally the resurrection of Lazarus is the highlight of this story in John 11, the word believe is actually recorded four times more than the word resurrection. I can't help but wonder if the theme here is less about the resurrection of Lazarus and more about 
the miracle of believing. Perhaps John is trying to help us see that the miracle of the resurrection, well, that's a promise. It's a promise for those who believe, but the miracle of believing, now that's a gift, a gift that we have to choose to accept or reject. In the passage of John 11, Jesus challenges the belief dynamics of three different groups of people with three different belief dynamics. We're gonna take a look at those three groups today. The first group we have, well, they're the disciples. The disciples maybe like you, the disciples walk with Jesus daily. They, they listen to his teachings, they hear his podcasts, they, they see Jesus do miracles, they believe in the miracles, they've surrendered their lives to Jesus. But still, he's asking them to believe something. Then it's Jesus' friends. Those that love Jesus and Jesus loves them, but his distance at times maybe makes them sad. However, they believe Jesus, but still Jesus is asking them to believe something. And finally, we have what we call the onlookers. The onlookers, they don't really have a plan to either walk with Jesus, they don't love him, they don't really care about him at all. In fact, they're just kind of there for the show. They know when Jesus shows up, something's gonna happen, so they're there for the show. Jesus loves them, so he's asking them to believe something. Let's begin with the disciples. The disciples here, are, they're, they're the definition of Christians. They were the Christ followers. They had submitted to the lordship of Jesus. However, we meet the disciples with regard to this passage having a reluctant exchange with Jesus. Let's pick up the exchange at verse five. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Oh, Thomas, always the optimist. Now the disciples, they, they've seen Jesus heal before. They've seen Jesus resurrect the dead before. In fact, Jesus told them, go, tell John the Baptist all the things that you've seen and heard. You've seen the, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. They see miracles all the time. This is part of their everyday life. Miracles are easy for them to believe. The disciples' problem with going back to Judea has nothing to do with the miracles, it's specific related to their last visit to the temple. 
See, things got a little sticky. We'll take a look at that portion of the exchange. We're going to flash back a few days to Jesus when he's teaching in the temples to the Pharisees. It's a little long, but stick with me. It's worth it, y'all. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true for I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. We'll jump down to verse 11. I know, Jesus says, that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I see, have seen in my father, and you do what you've seen in your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Did y'all hear that? That was shady. We can't ignore this. Jesus is challenging the spiritual integrity of the Pharisees or the religious leaders. He's calling out their religious rules and their religious ways and their pompous cultural dynamics. Jesus is dismantling their perspective of what salvation is and what sanctification is. And so they do what anyone who's been backed up against a wall and is so mad and so angry and so obviously wrong, they say, your mama... Seriously, I didn't make this up. They said, even ruder than your mama, they specifically say, we were not born of fornication. We have one father. God, we were not born of fornication. Really? That's just rude. This is a shameful jab at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and their intent here is to dishonor and discredit Jesus by calling him illegitimate because he has no earthly father to claim him. Maybe, maybe they didn't mean it that way. But this is how I know that Jesus took it the same way I did. Listen to Jesus' response. He says, if you were, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came forth from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? 
because you were not able to listen to my word. You of, of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. Listen, Jesus was mad. You're the devil. Who calls people the devil? He was like putting them in their place. You only say that when you're really mad, y'all. Let's talk about my mama. You're the devil. For the disciples, the, the protest in returning to Judea, it had less to do with Lazarus and more to do with having to come face to face with spiritual darkness, spiritually dead people by taking them back to Judea. Jesus is taking the, the disciples back to people in a place that are spiritually dead and that means that they are insensible to the things of God. There's no repentance there. There's no change in behavior. The state of being spiritually dead is actually not limited to people, but it's, it can do but encompass people, places, or things that exist apart or separated from God. Here are some examples. You can have a spiritually dead relationship because someone in that relationship chooses to keep God separated from some things in that relationship. You can be vacationing in a spiritually dead place because you believe God to get you to the beach, but you don't want him to tell you what to do when you get there. Spiritually dead place. You can have spiritually dead things, spiritually dead finances because you asked God for that job and he blessed you with that job, but you don't want him to tell you how to spend your money. Spiritually dead things. You can have all these spiritually dead things. People place these things because they abide separated from God. By taking the disciples back to Judea, Jesus is helping dismantle the disciples' fear of spiritually dead people, places, and things. Jesus is taking the disciples and he's asking them and he's asking us to believe in the authority that you have over spiritually dead people, places, and things. You don't have to ignore a spiritually dead child or a spiritually dead marriage or even a spiritually dead job. Jesus gives you, he gives us the solution right here in verse 15. He tells them, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go. Listen, don't leave Jesus behind. Take him with you to that spiritually dead thing. Take him with you to that spiritually dead place. Take him with you to that spiritually dead situation. Take him with you when you speak to that spiritually dead child. Child, you are the righteousness of God. Marriage, you shall live and not die. Job, you, God will bless the works of my hands and establish thou it. Speak what he says over that situation. Take him with you. We don't have to be afraid of spiritually dead. Believe in the authority. Believe that Jesus empowers you to speak life to spiritually dead people, places, and things. And it's he that brings new life and life more abundantly. When Jesus returns to Judea, he finds there his friends, but they're not in a friendly mood. Now, the friends of Jesus, specifically Martha, they represent those who really do love Jesus, but despair and the pains of this world may cause them to feel far from him. I've always felt like I really love Jesus. But there are times in my life where I feel far from him. Like, for instance, death. Death makes me feel far from God. 
the heaviness of the loss of a loved one, the heaviness of the loss of a friend, the heaviness of the loss of Tyree Nichols in Memphis. These things, they, they weigh on me and they make me feel separated from God. I know the scriptures. I know we don't mourn like those who have no hope. I know that he's close to near to the brokenhearted. I know the scriptures. I say them to people. I write them on cards, but still I feel the heaviness of loss and it makes me feel separated from God. I've had this condition since I was a little girl. And so my family, in order to keep me from spiraling into like this really sad place, they would not tell me a family member died until it was time for the funeral. That could mean I didn't know somebody died in my family for like weeks. But this was their way of helping me hold on to hope or their way of protecting me. So when I read this scripture where Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says that this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it, I have hope. Like, okay, God, you're just protecting them. But then just two days later, Jesus clearly says, Lazarus is dead. Is Jesus delaying the onset of their sadness too, like my family? Is he protecting them? No, he's preparing them and he's preparing us. He's got a plan for our inconveniences beyond what feels good to us in the moment. When Jesus tells them this sickness is not unto death, he's not trying to protect them. He's providing an exchange and it's the greatest exchange. He says it's for the glory of God. John tells us that God is glorified when we bear fruit. To bear fruit is to mirror God's image, which is love. And to love is to invite others into this beautiful family of believers. This is exactly what we see Jesus do with Martha. He invites her to believe that he alone is the bringer of salvation. He invites her to believe because he loves her. Don't you want the people that you love to believe? What Jesus is doing right here with Martha is soteriology 101, the doctrine of salvation, which says that God saves sinners. Am I saying that Martha was a sinner? Well, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, yes. And Jesus is extending to Martha the opportunity to enjoy salvation. You see, Martha, she's walked with Jesus and she's talked with Jesus. She loves Jesus and Jesus loves her back, but she's still holding on to some religious cultural baggage that is keeping her from truly recognizing Jesus as the giver of her salvation. Let's take a look at a piece of this conversation. Martha says to Jesus, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You see, many first century Jewish people, they believed on the final judgment day that God would raise them from the dead. So Martha's response, it's not revelation knowledge of who Jesus is. She's actually confirming a belief in religious narratives that have been handed down to her for generations. And so in the most succinct soteriology class in the history of mankind, Jesus explains to Martha the doctrine of salvation. He says, I am 
the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In engineering, we call this a binary choice. Yes or no, true or false, zero or one. No matter how long you've walked with Jesus and no matter how long you've talked with Jesus, like Martha, you have to be able to answer this question. Do you believe this? And if there's anyone that you love, you want to ask them that question too. Do you believe this? Believe what? I am. Jesus begins with, I am. This is the statement they've all been waiting for. If you've been taught the Hebrew scriptures like Martha, then you know that this is the, the, the way that God referred to himself. The expression, I am in Exodus. This is a statement of God's absolute, necessary, eternal existence. Jesus could have, he could have stopped right there. It would have been enough. She would have known exactly what he was saying when he said, I am. But he, because of his great love for us and because of his great love for Martha, he pushes in a little bit further and he puts an emphasis on her need for salvation. He says, the resurrection and the life, period. I am the resurrection and the life. There is a consequence for sin, he's telling her, and that consequence is death. Jesus paid the consequence. Jesus is the source of both the resurrection and the life. There's no resurrection apart from Christ, and there's no eternal life apart from Christ. He doesn't just give life. He is life. And and so if you are looking for life, the life for yourself, the life for love, and the absolute fullness of life, Jesus alone can provide that life. Martha, do you believe this? Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. It's a good answer, Martha. We see also in John 11, another group whose belief dynamics are being addressed by Jesus. These are the onlookers. The onlookers are a mixed group. They include the temple leaders, the Jewish citizens. They believe in God, but they don't want no dealings with Jesus. They have no intentions of loving Jesus or walking with him. They're just there for the show. They know that he's going to do something special when he shows up. So Jesus says... Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by now there's a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, 
come forth. And he who had died came out bound in hand and foot and with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. John describes Jesus lifting up his hands and his eyes to heaven, saying, Father. He, Jesus redirected his gaze. Father. There's something to this position of prayer, this space of surrender. Father. A redirected gaze. In this moment, he, his eyes are not focused on the problem. They're not focused on the distress. He knows that God is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, and his eyes are not even focused on the grave. He's yes. focused right. on Father. He lifts his eyes to heaven, and with one word, Father, Jesus destroys the onlooker's illegitimate claim. He, the, the, the same temple leaders that talked about his mama scandalized his name. They're all watching and they get to see what, what sonship looks like. They get to see what relationship looks like. They get to see what a father's relationship with a son is like. He says, Father. Admiration, confidence between a father and a son. You want to know what my daddy is? Father. But the next words... And I know that you always hear me. Jesus dismantles the religious cultural boundaries that kept people from direct communication with, in relationship with God. Father, there's no incense, there's no inner temple, there's no, no nothing, no barrier, just Father. Then... In the next line, a prayer for his enemies. He says, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Listen, regardless of how they've talked about Jesus, regardless of how they've treated him, regardless of how they talked about him or his mama, his total focus in this moment is their salvation. He's inviting them to a new family, a new start, a new identity. He invites them to be a part of his family, Father. John tells us that then many of the onlookers that had come with Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did, believed in him. What Jesus does with Lazarus, that was amazing. The resurrection of Lazarus, it was a miracle indeed. However, Lazarus, he would physically die again. But the onlookers, those that were watching and accepted that binary choice, do you believe how? Their salvation. They've been raised to life, new life. They're spiritually dead selves. Now resurrected to new life in Christ, never to die again because they chose to believe. Now that's the miracle of the resurrection. On a day, not long after the resurrection of Lazarus and just days before the resurrection of Jesus, John describes Jesus 
lifting up his eyes to heaven again, saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Jesus continues and he says a prayer for you and I. He says, I do not pray for the disciples alone, but Father, for also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may know that as your Father, you are their Father, you're in me, and I am in you, and they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Jesus prayed for us. He prayed that we may know that because of salvation, we have sonship. That's the closest possible connection to a father, direct communication. No matter what your earthly father looks like, you have sonship when you believe. He prayed that just as the Father heard him, that he would hear us and that we would walk in the same love, the same compassion, the same forgiveness, the same authority as Jesus Christ when we choose to believe. Not in a fairy tale, but in a fact. The fact of the real person of Jesus, his real death, his real resurrection, to believe it's not just to think about it it's not just to talk to him it's not even just to walk to him it's to put your whole trust in something give him your whole self your whole weight your whole hope for your life and your future in his hands that's the loving choice that every one of us we have to make Every one of us are presented with that choice. It's a binary choice. Accepted, rejected. Yes, no, true, false. Zero or one. I hope you choose today to believe. That is to trust, to put your whole hope in Jesus. I wanna pray for us today before I go. I wanna pray for three groups of people. The first group, maybe, Maybe you're like an onlooker. You saw yourself in that description. I came for the show. I don't even know what this is. What is salvation? You came for the show, but you want to believe today. Or maybe you're like Mary and you've allowed him into some spaces of your life, but he can stay out of this other area of life. But you're choosing today to surrender because you believe that he needs to be in charge of your whole life. Or maybe you are like the disciples. If you find yourself in any one of those categories, I want you to stand with me. I, I'm believing like the disciples for more authority. I'm believing for some people in my life that need to be saved. I'm believing for, for, for some people in my life that need to surrender more. So if you believe in any of those categories, I wanna invite you to stand. We're gonna say a quick prayer, a quick prayer belief. I want you to surrender like Jesus did. Lift your eyes to heaven. Lift your gaze toward heaven. Lift your arms toward heaven. And connect with your daddy. Father, I want you to say, Father, I believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. 
for more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.